Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Stan. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. So tell me, where in the world are you at the moment? I'm in Bethesda, Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. Is it snowing there? It snowed about six to eight inches yesterday. Unusual for this area, but uh, we plowed out of it. So it's not as bad as the snow we get in Toronto? Probably not. Probably not. So you've got a pretty interesting background. And because you have such an unconventional background in terms of the way you started your career and came up with some very interesting concepts, which we'll talk about later. I think it'll be good for the audience to learn a little bit about who you are in terms of your professional development and how you've built up your consulting practice. Absolutely. Um, so I do have a rather circuitous route to management consulting. I had planned to be a practicing physician. I wanted to be a surgeon. I went to med school down in Houston at Baylor College of Medicine, planned to be a surgeon took my surgery rotations and realized that really wasn't a great fit for me uh, for a number of reasons. And um, I actually started on the side doing consulting business, specifically marketing and competitive strategy consulting for some local companies in the Houston area. Um, I had never read a marketing book or consulting book, never taken a class in business at all, but it just seemed to come somewhat naturally to me. And I was all about uh, helping clients win from the very beginning, which mm -hmm. is sort of my uh, mantra for my business. So I realized that working in the Texas Medical Center, which uh, is actually the biggest medical center in the world, it's almost a city into itself with 120,000 employees, uh, roughly 10 hospitals, 15 clinics, it's a city. And I offered to some local businesses, notably Beacons Van Lines, which is a moving company, and yeah. Stanley Kaplan Educational Centers, which is a testing company. I said, you know, yes. I can help you own the, tennis the Texas Medical Center. And because uh, there's so many people that are moving in and out, you have all these uh, medical residents and, and nursing students and pharmaceutical pharmacy students, et cetera. Um, I also said to Stanley Kaplan, hey, you can provide all these testing services because all these future doctors, future nurses, uh, future pharmacists, they all take various types of boards. So I, uh, that's really where my strategy consulting started. That was back in 1985. I did it while I was in med school, and I quickly realized that I preferred strategy over surgery. So I, I don't think I've ever heard a story of a surgeon who was moonlighting as a management consultant. You may be the <laughs> first one. I, I'm pretty sure you are the first one. So you started advising companies in business while you were finishing your medical degree? Yes. Wow, that's pretty interesting. So you never you, you never did your, what's it called? Um, when doctors go in and they- Residency. Uh, residency. Residency. So you never did your <clears throat> residency. Yeah, and I had a, uh, to be fair, I had a unique background uh, growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, some people know, but many people don't. Uh, Nashville is actually the healthcare services capital of the United States. I do. <clears throat> it's where the for-profit hospital industry started uh, back in 1968 with two companies, Hospital Corporation of America, which many people know, 
also hospital affiliates, which ultimately was bought by Hospital Corporation America. So I grew up in the town that really was very um, for-profit healthcare service business oriented. So I was exposed to that. My father was very involved, both as a surgeon and treating patients in Nashville on, on the faculty at Vanderbilt, but also as a businessman. So that was probably where I got some of my interest in business, both from my father and from growing up around other healthcare entrepreneurs, uh, a number of which had medical backgrounds, including Tommy Fresh Jr., who was the, one of the founders and the CEO and chairman of Hospital Corporation America. And he was actually the person I talked to while I was in med school to get advice in terms of switching to business. And I have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, appreciation for what he did. He, he basically told me two things. He said, number one, you should go get your MBA and to help your transition into business. And number two, you should go to the Wharton School of Business. He said their healthcare MBA program is the best in the world. And so that's exactly what I did. So I finished up, I actually took my uh, medical boards. Uh, I was taking the medical boards around the same time I was taking the GMATs and uh, ended up switching. Um, after I got my MD degree, I did get licensed as a general practitioner in Tennessee, where I'm from. And then I uh, went to Wharton Business School. And that's really where I found my true love, which was sort of competitive slash marketing strategy. And I knew that's what I wanted to pursue. From, uh, from Wharton, I was deciding uh, whether or not to go directly into consulting with consulting firms or to go into, at that time, the pharmaceutical industry, given yes. my background, uh, medical background. And I chose to go into the industry because I felt I really wanted to have the content knowledge and I also wanted to get the credibility of having worked in the pharmaceutical industry and the healthcare industry. And then I thought down the road, I could do consulting. So I went to Bristol-Myers Squibb Pharmaceuticals, which was a great fit. It was actually Squibb and it was quickly bought by Bristol-Myers, so Bristol-Myers Squibb. And um, I realized uh, early on that I was not a corporate guy. Uh, yeah. It was clear to me I was, a, I was an entrepreneur, but I looked at the opportunity at Bristol-Myers Squibb very much like a business residency. So instead mm -hmm. of doing a medical residency where I spend five, six years doing surgery training, I felt, oh, I'll just use these, this opportunity at Bristol-Myers Squibb to get essentially a business residency, which is exactly what I did. I ended up having six different jobs in six totally different functions in six years, which, uh, as you might know, is highly unusual. Um, yes. Most people don't switch jobs, you know, typically in the pharmaceutical industry, every three years, maybe. Um, and, and they don't switch to six totally different functions. So I worked in everything uh, from marketing function to the medical affairs function, to the business development, to the payer function, et cetera, et cetera. But I knew that I wanted to get as much experience as possible and as quickly as possible. And my plan was then to ultimately uh, go into consulting, which I did. After six years at Bristol-Myers Squibb, I went to work for A.T. Kearney mm -hmm. and um, A.T. Kearney, I was based in New York City. Um, many people know A.T. Kearney. Uh, at the time, it was one of the top five biggest global management consulting firms in the world. It was very specialized or had, a, had an expertise in particularly operations management, yes. uh, supply chain, sourcing, et cetera. Um, and that really wasn't my expertise. My expertise was more in strategy, but um, I think A.T. Kearney liked the fact both that I had this strategy background and as well as having worked 
deeply in the pharmaceutical industry because their pharmaceutical and healthcare management consulting team did not have people that had worked in the industry. So I was seen as very valuable to them because I could go into any pharmaceutical company and talk to the medical director. I could talk to the marketing head, commercial head, I could talk to the head of business development, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they found that to be very valuable. So I spent four years there. Um, it helped me in two ways. One in terms of client management, helped me understand client management skills yes. and also project management skills. So, so I felt like I had uh, at least enough of a background in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, given that sort of uh, content. And then I learned more of the consulting processes and skills at AT Kearney. And then I started my firm, Bernard Associates, in 1999. So you've been, you've only spent four years at a traditional consulting firm. But what's <clears> interesting <throat> is that you've stayed in the sort of healthcare medical space your entire career. Is that right? I, even though it's in, now in consulting. Um, predominantly in healthcare, yes. I, I have done... I have done projects outside of healthcare. Um, I, you know, as I said, my first initial clients were service, you know, uh, non-healthcare service clients. I've also worked a lot with internet startups, uh, both in and outside of healthcare. But yeah, I'd say the majority of my consulting has been in the healthcare arena, uh, particularly with pharmaceutical products, vaccines, and biotechnologies. And the work you recently published in your book, is that a summation of what you've seen works and doesn't work in your years of experience? It's interesting. My book, Brands Don't Win, um, actually has 16 case studies and many other examples, but none of them are from healthcare. It's everything from Google to Sweetgreen to Halo Top to Glossier. I mean, you know, everything from uh, women's apparel and yeah. cosmetics to, to ice cream to salads, you name it. So the okay. primary concepts in that book, that was gleaned through your consulting experience, but you applied them to case studies outside of healthcare. Is that a correct way of summarizing? Exactly, exactly. So I had built a system over the last roughly 35 years, which I call the Transcender System. Mm -hmm. And I described a system, the three-step practical system uh, that is considered by many to be the most powerful winning system for companies and their products. In the book, Brands Don't Win, I had developed that transcender system over my many years in, uh, in a variety of industries. Um, again, starting in 1985, when I was first <laughs> doing some of my consulting in med school. And then yes. over time, um, I built up that system. Um, what I found was that um, virtually every company on the planet plays the same game. Yeah, They play a branding game. Yes. And, uh, and the branding game is you create a brand and then you try to differentiate the brand on certain features or benefits and you use lots of advertising promotions, sales reps, whatever. Um, and I think because I had a medical background, um, you know, doctors are trained to be, um, well, I'll say uh, skeptical at times yeah. and, and to be very careful about uh, information they read, information they hear. So for instance, I was taught you do not assume the diagnosis that uh, a patient gives to you or another doctor gives to you about a patient. You have to make your own diagnosis, yes. your own evaluation. And so when I went into business, uh, literally my very first year at Bristol Myers Squibb uh, as a product manager back in 1990, I, um, my team was basically uh, launching a new cholesterol product called Provacol, a cholesterol inhibitor. And 
Um, the team basically told me, well, we're going to have the advertising agency put together our strategy and all that. And I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, I, I thought that's our role, you know, as product manager, I thought we, we do that. And they said, no, 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 the agencies will come up with it. They'll come up with the branding strategy and all that. And I said, well, what if we decide to compete in a different way than branding? And I literally saw the deer in the headlights look. Yes. I mean, they looked at me like, are you from Mars? You know, because don't you understand the, that's the only way you compete is with branding. And, you know, and I challenged them and they really didn't, <laughs> didn't appreciate yeah, that. So you were not popular and, that uh, company. No, no. I mean, I, and so it was really an aha moment for me. That was a key moment for me in my career. Um, I realized, wow, um, if, people believe there's only one way to compete and it's branding. Uh, there's gotta be a better way. And so I set out over the next roughly 30 plus years to create a, not only an alternative to branding, but a better alternative. And it's what I refer to as the transcender system. So what is the better alternative? Unpack it for the audience. Yeah. So the better alternative is this. And as I mentioned, branding obviously is about creating a brand, differentiating. That's how you compete. In the Transcender system, I work with clients, and I've worked with clients, everything from Fortune 500 clients all the way to startups, smaller companies. And I've worked across the world, literally across six continents with uh, over 150 companies at this point. What the Transcender system does is it says that you do not win by branding. You win by creating a game that only you can win. So you create and play a game only you can win. So let me give you perhaps a, a simple example. Pretty much everybody knows Starbucks. And everybody assumes that Starbucks has won with branding because everybody knows the Starbucks brand and the branded cups and the branded coffee. Well, they would not be correct. In fact, Starbucks tried to win with branding for its first 16 years from 1971 to 1987. They had the Starbucks brand name, the branded coffee, the branded coffee cups, the Nordic Siren branded logo. They had all that. And they were using the traditional approach, traditional branding approach. And, uh, but they weren't winning. They were only adding one store per year because there was a lot of competition in the yes. uh, Western half of the US. So Howard Schultz in 1987 buys the company and says, I'm not going to play the branded game. I'm going to change the game. And this is what the best transcender companies do. He basically changed the game. He said, I'm going to make Starbucks the third place. Three words, the third place between home and work in America. He wanted people to stop at Starbucks on the way to work and stop at Starbucks on the way home from work, which is why you have a Starbucks on one side of the highway on the way to work and another one directly on the other side of the highway on the way home from work. It's why you see Starbucks and transportation hubs, corporate centers, malls, et cetera. They are strategically located. They're also much larger stores. They have a bigger footprint so that people can hang out. They offer tables, they offer chairs, even couches, because Starbucks, unlike Dunkin' Donuts, does not want you to grab a cup of coffee. They want you to grab a chair. Stay. Hang out, enjoy our free Wi-Fi, our clean restrooms, our hospital baristas. Starbucks went from adding one store per year in his first 16 years when it was trying to do the branding game to adding 1,350 stores per year. That means almost four stores per day 
by using the transcender approach. They basically changed the game from the coffee to the coffee shop. There are now 31,000 stores, uh, Starbucks stores around the world across 80 countries. They're the dominant player. They're three times bigger than their biggest rival, which is Dunkin' Donuts. And interestingly, in the United States, Dunkin' Donuts spends twice as much on advertising promotion as Starbucks, and Starbucks sells three times more coffee. Do you mind if yeah. I just jump in? Yeah, I'm going to unpack this for the audience to make sure they understand yep. it, okay? Because it's a great example. Absolutely. I love this example. Okay, so let's unpack this. I'm going to go to certain things step by step so the audience gets it because it's a good example, especially those numbers you gave at the end, which show you the marketing spend is not what's driving Starbucks growth and uh, higher premiums in terms of the net income and so on. Most companies, they use their branding as a promise they make to customers. So they change their branding without necessarily changing their strategy or their product or, or what they're offering behind that branding. But in this example, Starbucks didn't change their branding. They changed their business model. Yeah, and, and I refer to the business model um, even more broadly than their yeah. business model. They, they I, I refer to it as the game. The game. Okay, they yes. They changed the game. the game. But I think the are, point are I'm they, trying to make here is it's yeah. not that they changed their marketing and branding. They actually changed who they were. Well, they, they did change. They actually did change it. They they did change it. And I'll, I'll explain how. Well, this I, is, I think the point I want to get for the audience, it's an important point, yeah. is that it's not enough to change your branding if you're not changing the game. I agree. That's true. That's, That's the point I want true. to make because a lot of people yeah. will look at this and say, well, you know, actually I see Starbucks already as the third place. So that's their branding. But I think the point I want to make here is that they first change the game, then yeah. the branding. Yes. It's not just they that's change right. the branding and nothing changed in their operation the way they set themselves yeah. up. Yeah, that, that, that is a very important distinction, Michael, and I'm glad you're, you're highlighting that. So in the branding world, we lead with the brand. Yeah. So, you know, the old, and again, Starbucks initially, it was all about Starbucks, Starbucks, Starbucks. Well, when they, when again, Schultz took over and they became more of a transcender, they didn't lead with the brand. They led with their agenda, which is the third place. Now, they didn't communicate that out to the world like a politician, like Obama yes. did with change in 2008 or Trump in 2016, make America great again. They, they did do that internally and they did it in business to business meetings. So they would talk to analysts about it, but they didn't really do that with consumers purposely because what they wanted consumers to do is to get inspired. So this is this is another difference from traditionalist uh, versus transcenders. Transcenders are trying to inspire you. So they were trying to inspire people to this concept of the third place, right? So if you wanted to go to a place where you could relax or do work or meet friends and get some nice coffee and other edibles, you know, on the way to work or on the way home from work, then Starbucks was a great fit. In fact, it was the only fit. It was the only game in town, certainly in terms of how they offered what they called the third place experience. And that third place experience is the positioning of Starbucks. Okay, that's the positioning of the brand. But they don't lead with that. In the transcendent world, you lead with the agenda, in this case, the third place, and then you follow with the brand. So the brand in the transcendent world becomes a supporting actor mm -hmm. and the agenda is the lead actor. 
That's not the case in the traditional branding world. Yeah, that's a pretty big world, difference, actually. It's huge. It's, it's night and day. And people will say, well, you know, I understand over time it became this. Yeah, but it's all because they changed the game from coffee, branded coffee, to the coffee house. And yes, it's about and, understanding cause and effect here. Yeah. Which is the cause and which is the effect? It, it was yes. the game was the cause. Yes. And that led to an effect on the brand. And now That's looking right. back on it 20 years later, it's kind of got all blurred up because we don't really know when it started, but knowing when it started is the point of difference. That's right. And that's what, what, what I find is, and people will read this in the book if they get the opportunity to read Brands Don't Win, is that if you just look at one case study, you'll say, well, it's not that clear. Yeah. But when you look at you know, two, three, four case studies, and in the book, again, I have 16 case studies, and I have over 100 case studies in my library here, it, it becomes so clear. It becomes clear that the branding traditional, the traditional branding world is flat, and the transcender agenda-driven world is round. And once you see the round transcender world, you can never go back to branding the same way again. I have, I've had over, at this point, nearly 20,000 executives and other business professionals go through my workshops, and you, you see it. it. Some of people pick it up in the first 30 minutes, some people pick it up in the first two hours, but everybody gets it. Once they see multiple case studies and examples of the transcender system in action, and then they're like, oh, I get it now. I get it. Now I understand not only how Starbucks won, but how Apple wins, how Google wins how Amazon wins, as well as more recent companies such as Peloton or Sweetgreen and even startups such Seedlip, on and on and on. It becomes very clear exactly what it is. I'll give you perhaps a, a simple example. Geico, Geico Insurance. When you say Geico Insurance, most people will probably say, uh, yeah, 15 minutes, 15%, 15 mm -hmm. minutes, 15%. That is their campaign agenda. Okay, started in 1999, and everybody knows the tagline, 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Well, everybody knows that. <laughs> Why do we know that? Because Geico's been telling us the exact same four words, 15 minutes, 15% now for over 20 years. Okay, so they are a transcender company. And what's very interesting about Geico is they have used advertising promotion extensively but they changed the game in insurance. And let me explain how they did that. In 1999, at that time, State Farm was number one in the United States in car insurance. They had the biggest insurance sales professional network. So they were warning, basically they were winning by playing their game, which is all about a, a large sales force, okay? And they sold multiple different types of insurance. Well, Geico at that point in time, 1999 was fifth in the United States. So they were pretty far behind State Farm. And they realized they couldn't play the State Farm game. They didn't have as many insurance agents. So they changed the game. They started advertising insurance. Well, back then, the belief in the industry was you don't advertise insurance because you can't feel it. You can't touch it. It's not like a sneaker. It's not like a, a deodorant, something like that. You can see, smell, feel. No, no. They started advertising it. And they did it, however, in a transcendent way. They didn't do it the traditional advertising or branding way. They had multiple mascots. Everybody knows the gecko, but they also had the pig, Max. They had the caveman. They had celebrities. 
they had Pinocchio, et cetera. And not only did they have multiple mascots, which broke all the rules of advertising, they also broke the rules by having multiple different types of commercials going on at the same time. Yes. I mean, that was heresy on, on Madison Avenue. But Geico put it all together because it was every single commercial linked back to their agenda, their four words, 15 minutes, 15%, 15 minutes, 15%. And then, so they led with the agenda and then followed with the brand Geico, okay? That company over the next 20 years, by staying with the exact same campaign agenda, again, this is different than traditional branding. Traditional branding is you change your brand and change your commercials and change your messaging every anywhere from every three months to three years, whatever it may be. They didn't. They stayed with it like a classic transcender company. And as a result, they have vaulted to number two in the United States in car insurance and they're breathing down State Farm's neck. So again, another example of how they changed the game, played a game only they can win. And this is why you see all these other insurance companies spending so much money on advertising, trying to make their you know, commercials funny and keeping up with Geico. I mean, for instance, Liberty Mutual. I mean, some of these commercials really, really are, are not well done. Yes. But they're, they're all reacting to the transcender Geico, which is... They're reacting to what they can see as opposed to understanding what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Let's yeah. unpack this for the audience, right? Yep. Every company that changes the game and plays that new game well will ultimately build a strong brand. Is that correct? Or no, are there companies not... that are changing the game and are winning, but they, they don't have strong brands? Yeah, so it's not just about changing the game because there's, there's traditional brand companies that can change the game. It's how you change the game that's unique. So traditional companies use the traditional product playbook. Okay. Uh, again, you create a brand and typically you use the four P's. Most people that are in marketing know the four P's, you know, the product price place and, uh, and promotion. Um, and, and so that's, that's the old way to do it. In the transcender system, what's unique is that you use this political playbook. You lead with the agenda. So there's three steps. You create the agenda, you communicate the agenda, and then you champion the agenda, okay? So there's a specific, it's not just changing the game, it's how you change the game that's unique, okay? You make it more like a political campaign, okay? And I think that's, that's an important distinction. Because there are branding companies that will do things that are different than their competitors and, and force competitors to react, but they're not necessarily transcenders. Transcenders not only change the game, but it's how they change the game. And they do not use the traditional product playbook. They do not rely on advertising, promotions, sales reps. They do not rely on products that are slightly better, slightly differentiated. Transcender companies basically use a political campaign and they have products typically that are transcendent. They have dramatically significant advantages, multiple major advantages. Um, so, so the question here is, yeah. did the political campaign playbook give them the massive advantages or was it something they created? It's both. It's both. It's both. Yeah. So it's, it's both. And I tell, I tell my clients, you want to have two things. You want to, and let's put it in election terms, make it simple. You want to have the best candidate mm -hmm. or brand candidate or candidates, products, and you want to have the best campaign. Okay. You want to have both. Those are the two essential requirements to winning in the transcender world. Now, 
I will say there are times when transcender companies do not have the best candidate. So getting back to Starbucks, many people, even patrons of Starbucks, will tell you their coffee is not the best coffee they've ever had. Many people will say it's not great coffee. And I'll ask them, so why do you go? They're like, well, um, it's become a habit. That's because Starbucks has basically repeated, this is what you do. This is the third place. This is where you go on the way to you know, work, away from homework. So, so ideally you want to have both. You want to have a product that has multiple advantages, such as a Tesla car. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tesla's electric vehicles have so many advantages over their competitors, okay? Particularly the traditional auto manufacturers. I mean, and I use it, I call it the S advantages because Tesla has so many advantages over their competitors. Everything from obviously the savings in terms of uh, greener cars, saving gas, saving money, saving insurance, um, as well as their stations. Obviously they have their charging stations, their sales models different, their software overnight, um, on and on and on, safety, et cetera, et cetera. So they have so many advantages, right? But they also have a clear campaign agenda. Elon Musk, since 2003, when he first got involved, said it's all about transitioning to sustainable energy. That has been their campaign agenda for Tesla. It's all about transitioning to sustainable energy. He doesn't lead with Tesla. He leads with that. That is the sort of the overarching agenda or game they want to play. And what they're doing is they're basically saying, we want to inspire people. We don't want people to just purchase our product, our cars. That's what we're here to do. We're here to inspire you. If you're inspired by trying to transition to sustainable energy and you can afford a Tesla car, then you're likely to buy the car. And again, this is another big difference. Transcender companies are trying to get you to believe in their experience, their agenda, whereas traditional branding companies are trying to get you to buy their product. They're, they're trying to sell you. They're not trying to inspire you. Okay. So I want to I want to jump in here for the audience to make sure they get the point. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. Transcendent companies focus on the higher purpose. Other yes. companies put the brand first. Yes. Is that a good yes. way of summarizing it? Really well summarized. And I love how you're jumping in. And uh, I think it's really helpful. Yeah, because I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I've seen it. I have the model of create, communicate, champion. When I was a consulting partner, we used it extensively during transformation programs for state-owned companies. Because it is a political playbook because the CEO yes. is appointed by the government. He doesn't have a lot of power. He can't focus on the media. He has to focus on the company, transform the company from within. And three years later, people notice the state-owned companies operating better. There was no yes. real brand that they could push because nobody likes state-owned companies. So with the brand being so severely disabled, they were forced to focus on the business. And I think the key part here is that because there's no brand, they have to focus on the higher purpose. What is the mission? Why are they trying to do this? It's the only thing they could communicate. And what I want the audience to remember is that, you know, as you're talking here, Stan, about uh, Elon Musk being so successful at using Twitter and so on to communicate, he's not communicating the brand, he's communicating the higher purpose. That's a very big difference. Yes. And, you're, you know, and I think that's an excellent example, Michael, what you just said. And and in, the other thing you'll notice, um, Musk and Tesla, they use very, very little advertising and promotions. Almost and, none. And, I mean, does Tesla advertise? Right. 
That's right. Almost none. And they have almost no sales force. You, you know, you, you literally can buy the car in less than five minutes online. They don't have the big distributors, distributorships that uh, the major traditional automakers yeah. have with lots and lots of salespeople. And this. no, it's not about promotions. It's not about advertising. It's not about sales reps. It's all about a political campaign, not the more traditional military campaign where, you know, the bigger companies just try to overwhelm you with more spending on advertising promotions, sales reps. No, no, no. This is a model. The transcender model allows startup companies to level the playing field because they don't have to have huge resources because they don't have to win with advertising promotions and sales reps. They win very much like politicians, you know, yeah. and, and in fact, a lot of people are probably don't are not aware, but when Trump won the election in 2016, he actually spent the least of any of the major yeah, Republican true. candidates, and he spent one third, one third on the average vote that Hillary Clinton did. So she spent typically three times more in terms of advertising promotions, basically they say per vote, than he did, and yet he won the election, right? So this this is this is truly a what I call transcender revolution. It's a paradigm shift in how to compete in the marketplace. And it's based on particularly U.S. presidential elections. That's what yes. I base my model on. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I don't think this would apply in many other parts of the world because of just the way the American system is set up. But it's an important actually, point. Actually, you know what, Michael, can yeah. I, can maybe, maybe I'm going to challenge you there. This model. You can go ahead and challenge me. Yes, it, it works around. No, I don't mean world. that the model doesn't work around the world. I mean, yeah. using other presidential campaigns as a reference point. The okay. point is that, you know, there's so many different cultures and so on. If you, I, I understand that this model can work, but if you look at some presidential campaigns in the world today where they are not using this model, and then you try to say, well, this presidential campaign in this country doesn't use this model. And if I apply to companies, it's not going to work. But I agree with you that the American system can work in other parts of the world, but it's not always being used. I, yeah, and I, and, but what's interesting is um, you will see, I mean, um, for instance, uh, in Britain, the 2019 election. Yes. Boris Johnson used three words, get Brexit done, get Brexit done. In France, and we know their prime minister basically in his election, you know, on March, right? Yeah. In our in, in Brazil, so this this model, this presidential model, uh, is being used around the world. But it, much more importantly, honestly, it's it's about the companies that are using this around the world. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's not even just a yeah. presidential model; it's a way of communicating, influencing, yes. and yes. inspiring. Yeah. It's about making people yeah. feel they're part of some bigger purpose than themselves. It's about making yes. them feel that they're contributing to something that they could never do on their own, making them feel good about their contribution to the world. Now, it is right. what that message is, but I think that's the thing that companies and you know what your work is showing sometimes forget that people want to be part of a bigger story. Yes. This is what I refer to as the difference between, you know, companies that are trying to sell you, which are the traditional branding companies, yes. versus the transcender companies that are trying to inspire you. Well, I can give you an example of this. I mean, I was recently looking for a, a car, a sports car, uh -huh. and I wrote to some of the different companies, and 
I don't know, writing to one company. This, uh, this is a true story. This happened on Sunday night. I went online and I liked this sports car and I wrote to the dealership. This was around 7.49 p.m. on a Sunday night, right? Mm-hmm. From about 8.05, my phone lit up because this company just kept on trying to contact me to come in to test drive the car to buy it, right? Yep. I wrote to Tesla. Do you think Tesla wrote back to me? <laughs> they didn't even bother because they understand that if you want a Tesla, you're going to get a Tesla and they don't need to force you to do anything, right? They did send me right. one email, but it was not at all pushy. They had my cell phone details. Nobody called me. There's no forcing of anything. No. Just a completely, I thought it to be a very respectful way to do things. Convince me of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I'll make up my decision on my own versus calling me at you know, 9 p.m. at night on a Sunday. Right, right. right. I didn't, I didn't tell know, anyone to call me at 9 p.m. at night, by the way. They just decided yeah. to do it. Yeah. And, and uh, what's amazing is, again, Tesla doesn't have many salespeople at all. Right. That explains why nobody's going to call you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Nobody's going to call you. And, and, but, but what they do have is what I refer to as advangelicals. Yes. which is a portmanteau for meaning passionate proselytizers that push your agenda. If you ever talk to Tesla owners, many of them, and I have a few friends that have Teslas, and they will, I mean, right away, as soon as you say the word Tesla, they'll go on and on about their car and their experience and this and what they love. I mean, I have one friend that's a real IT geek, and he goes on and on about the software, and he feels like every morning he gets a new car, have another friend who's like, you know, I can't believe this car, the G-forces, you know, yes. it doesn't need a road, it needs a runway, you know. And, and so this is typical of transcender companies is they get their customers to become, in many cases, not simply product advocates, because we have product advocates in the traditional branding world, you know, that they'll, they'll recommend the product, this or that. But these are really passionate evangelists and, excuse me, evangelicals right? They go on and on and on and they'll sell yes. the car for, you know, they'll, they'll inspire you and sell the car for Tesla, right? Another example that perhaps even better is Peloton. I don't know if you have a Peloton, Michael, do you have a Peloton? Do you have any friends that have a Peloton? Uh, no, nobody that has it, but I'm familiar with the product. I've seen it. I've seen yeah. those the high performance coaches in the programs. Yeah. So Peloton, I, you know, if you mention Peloton to a Peloton user, so I have one friend who actually is a former professional cyclist. He's now around 60 and uh, still cycling. And he will go on and on and on about how great the bike is and how he gets to high five other riders and he gets to ride in the French Pyrenees or in the mountains in the Pacific Northwest or wherever it is, right? And he goes on and on about this instructor and how many metrics he can measure, et cetera, you know, on and on. And I hear this from other people. I literally ended up getting, he, he sold me enough to, he inspired yeah. me enough to get a, pe a Peloton for my son. And then my son starts doing the same thing to me. He's like, dad, you won't be the, believe the metrics I did today. And Oh, by the way, I'm now using it also for the Peloton. You know, I'm using it for the tread and I'm using it for this. And, and then his girlfriend starts using it and she starts talking about how great her instructors are. And it's all about the idea that Peloton was their five word agenda initially was world-class home cycling studio. They were not trying to make simply a better home stationary bike. Yes. That would have been the traditional branding model. No, 
they were going way beyond that. They were going to build this, this bike that was, first of all, the bike was so much better, had so many advantages, you know, carbon frame, flywheel, et cetera. They, they also had world-class instructors that they literally could pull from around the world. They had this social experience where, you know, so many riders could ride together. You could tell what gear somebody else was in. You could, again, high-five somebody on the way up the hill, et cetera. You know, and of course, most of all, it was at home. So the convenience was unparalleled. So this is, this is again, classic transcender approaches where you get people inspired to the point they become evangelicals. And Peloton, their recent analyst meeting, said, we're cutting back on advertising promotions. And the analyst said, why? They said, because we have so many of our people basically inspiring others to buy the bike for us. That's a good example. I mean, I've met Peloton users. They are like, you know, for lack of a better, a little bit crazy about what they believe yeah. in. Yeah. They just will not stop talking about this uh, instructor and how good she is and so on. And I mean, you can't stop them. That's all they want to talk about. Right. They take right. pride in talking about it. Yes, yes. Now, I want to unpack a few yeah. things for the audience. Very good yeah. points, Dan, amazing points. But I want to unpack a few things so the audience can follow and can use some of the thinking that you're you know, sharing with them. So it's not that transcendent companies don't advertise and are not good at advertising and are not good about um, communicating, even if it's paid and unpaid. It's what they communicate. They tend to communicate the higher purpose and the brand is subordinate to that. The other thing we're seeing is that transcendent companies, they're so focused on getting that message out and building that different game, as you say, using a different process is that they build this band of rabid evangelical followers who create a secondary kind of advertising campaign for them. Is that right? Yes, yes, I think that's fair. Um, it's, it's absolutely, uh, these companies communicate um, differently, but very importantly, they communicate their agenda with five words or fewer. Five words or fewer. And they keep repeating the same agenda over and over again. And here's why. It's because that's all we can remember. Turns yes. out that we've lost 43% of our short-term memory over the last 20 years. Why? Because of our over-reliance on iPhones and other devices, right? So we don't have to remember people's numbers, names, et cetera. So as a result, we used to remember seven plus or minus two chunks of information or digits. We're now down to four plus or minus one. So if you want somebody to remember your agenda, Ideally, it needs to be five words or fewer. I recommend, recommend my clients even four words or fewer because not everybody can remember five words. Um, and the way I help them remember that is I tell them, you know, the traditional brand person would get on the elevator and do the elevator pitch. We all yes. know the elevator pitch, right? And you forget it after a while. That's right. It's, you know, you have a few floors, 30 seconds, you give them the, you know, whatever their most recent brand messages are that you're going to change anyway in three months or six months, or whatever. So nobody remembers it, especially now. Okay. I tell people don't do the elevator pitch, do the elevator close. Four words, wait, hold that elevator. If you can only say four words to a potential client on an elevator, what are those four words? And they should be your campaign agenda, not your brand name. I like that. That's a good thing for the audience to remember because with everything we've discussed, it's sometimes hard to remember how do I put this into action? But yeah. you're giving them homework almost as if, okay, what's your higher purpose and how do you communicate it in four words or less? Right. 
So that, that's the first step is creating the agenda. The second step is communicating the agenda and communicating it, making it memorable. As we said, short, ideally four words or fewer. It needs to be distinct, right? It should be something that can be repeated because you want your inspired evangelicals to repeat it to other people. Um, you also want an agenda that is something you can own, your company can own. Okay, there's no question Starbucks owns the third place. No question Peloton yes. owns the home cycling studio fitness experience. It's something also you want to be winnable. It has to be a winnable agenda. And perhaps one of the classic examples of that, Michael, is Nike's agenda from 1987. Just do it. Three yeah. words. Three words, right? Pretty simple. Yeah. People think that was just an advertising slogan. Again, that's not true. In 1987, Nike was actually losing significantly to Reebok. Reebok had 45% market share in North America and sports apparel and shoes, and Nike only had 18%. They got together in, in 1987 and said, we, we got to change the game because we're losing. Uh, Reebok is seen as the more fashionable brand for athletes, both professional and amateur, and so they're leading the way. What are we going to do? And they came up with their agenda of just do it, which meant basically it's not just about the athletes. Anybody can just do it. It doesn't matter whether you're an 80-year-old man who can run a marathon or a 15-year-old girl in high school who's playing, you know, um, you know, any sport. Um, doesn't matter what country, what color, what religion. It doesn't matter. Anybody can just do it. Just get off the couch, wear Nike apparel, and get out there and just do it. And you'll notice to this day, they're still using the exact same campaign agenda. Because and, it's, not a, it's not a brand. It's what they believe in. It's the higher that's purpose. That's right. That's right. And Nike's all about beliefs, right? I mean, they've, they've been at the forefront of many beliefs and leading many changes in society. And it reflects their belief. Just do it. Okay, well, we're, as a company, we're just going to do it. We're going to do things that are different. We're going to lead talk about cultural aspects, but most importantly, we lead with the agenda, just do it. And then we follow with the brand Nike. So you literally will see on commercials or in ads, they say, just do it. And then underneath that is the name Nike. Yes. And, and the interesting thing about that is because people have seen just do it for so long, they think that's the brand. Right. 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 And uh, it's, it's really, it, but in my parlance, in the transgender system, it is the agenda, it is the game. And people realize, okay, if I just want to do something physically, okay, I, I, I'll do it. And, you know, I'll just happen to wear Nike apparel, Nike shoes. The people that inspired me to do it. That's right. That's right. So that's a, that's a good have, example. That's a very good example because... Whenever you look at the Nike slogan, just do it, you think it's the slogan. Right. And no one ever right. said it's the slogan. Right? It's yeah. never in been fact, said it's the slogan. Yeah. In fact, in the book, I quote um, some different Nike executives who said, you know, people don't realize that that's what people thought was a slogan was really a rallying cry for our company. It was an opportunity for us to align the entire company behind that campaign agenda. That's what was, that's also what's unique about campaign agendas is they, they basically simplify the alignment. They make every single professional understand what the company stands for, 
what they're communicating and it enables each employee to know every single day what to do. Every single employee at Starbucks knows it's all about the third place. Every single employee at Amazon knows it's about customer obsession. Okay, everybody at Nike knows it's about just do it, right? So this is why these companies also have such a, what I call transcendent advantage, not, not competitive advantage, competitive advantages are small. Yes. They have transcendent advantages because the entire company is aligned. This is, again, a huge distinction from traditional branding companies. Traditional branding companies, yeah, the branding is for really it's for marketing and salespeople and it's for customers. And, and that's really where it stops. In the transcendent world, once you have that agenda, forwards or fewer, everybody understands it, then everybody can align behind it. Classic example, Apple. Think different. Two words. If you look at how Apple behaves as a company, virtually everything they do is about think different. Yes, I think that the other important point to make here, because we've, we've touched on it very, very little, but it's probably the most important point is that getting your employees aligned along one higher purpose is probably the most important thing a leader needs to do. Totally agree with you. And, and if, totally and if a leader cannot get his own employees aligned in terms of what needs to happen, how can he get the rest of the world to see the company for what it That's is? That's right. That's right. You're spot on. Very, very important for your listeners. And this is why you have these transcendent leaders. Okay. Now, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Howard Schultz, Jeff Bezos. But I want to make it clear I have seen transcendent leaders at all levels of the company. Yes. I've seen very junior people that have adopted this transcender system and then they get people other people in their group, whether it's their market, whether it's their function, whatever discipline they're in, they get people inspired and then it starts to spread. So sometimes this approach can be bottom up, you know, ideally, ultimately it's top down, but it can happen. And I've, I've worked with every, every different type of function, um, different markets and found people at all different levels of the organization, all different levels of experience that adopt this approach and then introduce it to the company. And it might start with a brand team. It might start with a part of the supply chain. You know, it could be anywhere. And again, this is why anybody can be a transcender. Okay. The book Brands Don't Win explains how each of you, each of you, each of us can become a transcendent leader, no matter what our role in the company. Stan, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that podcast. I think it'll be one of the best ones we'll release this year. Thank you. To me, the messaging makes a lot of sense. I've seen it, we use it, but what happens with a lot of things that make sense is very few times someone distills it in a format that can be applied as a, I wouldn't, don't like to use the word template, but a, a guide for lack of a better word. It's, it's really, uh, to me, this is a winning system. Mm. It's a three-step winning system. That's really what this is. It's also profound because we tend to know these things as standalone pieces, right. but we don't take the time to think about it. Right. Like we always know that you, you need to have a higher purpose. And I speak to executives all the time, but then does an executive think, how does a higher purpose align with my brand, which is subordinate? Yeah. 
Well, this, I will tell you, and again, this is where my medical background helps me. Um, this is based on science. It's based on the cognitive science. It's called framing, cognitive framing. And the idea is that what these transcender companies do, very much like politicians, is they basically change your frame of reference. They yeah. force you to look through their frame of reference in, on their market. And what's interesting is, number one, first of all, customers and other people don't realize that uh, they're being exposed to this process, this cognitive framing process. It's a subconscious process. The other thing is that the more you repeat the agenda, the more times you repeat it, the better off it is. It becomes more and more memorable and impactful. So this is why, for instance, Make America Great Again was so powerful. It just was repeated over and over, not just by Trump, but, but by many, many of his followers. And of course, he had a visual, his MAGA hats that uh, yes. supported that. So we still use branding. We use brand logos and, and different types of things in, uh, in this transcender system. But again, we don't lead with it. They're more supportive. So this cognitive framing concept is extraordinarily powerful. So that's what these companies use. It's based on science and it works. Well, it wins elections. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. much more well, at stake for a country than a, than a company. Yeah. Right? yeah. In fact, you know, it, and so to your point, it, it wins elections, right? Well, today products are no longer selected. They're elected. Mm, I like that. That's a very important mindset for professionals. Because think about it, it used to be products were selected and they were selected based on what the companies told us about the products, right? Because yeah. that's really where we got most of our information. We got our information from the, you know, from the big, you know, P&G, Unilever or whatever company it was, whatever consumer product company it might be or other company. Well, when the internet came along and said, you know what, the information now is becoming democratized. You're now going to get the opportunity when you look at a product on Amazon or Google or wherever, to get anywhere from a few hundred to perhaps tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of reviews on certain products, technologies, or services, okay? Basically, they're votes. You're seeing what other people are voting for. You go on Amazon and you have, you know, for a flat iron, you can have 60,000 different reviews. You know, yeah. for a crock pot, 150,000 reviews. So you have so much information from actual users that it actually is much more powerful than what the company is advertising. And this is where, you know, you get the difference between paid and unpaid media. This unpaid media, this, these testimonials from users is much more powerful today, which is why products are elected, not selected. I like that. That's a very good way of thinking about it. But it's intuitive. And here's the thing that maybe we can wrap up on this point here. And it's, all of this is so intuitive and obvious. Why don't businesses do it? Yeah. Yes. Nothing here you're telling me. I, I mean, I know all these things. I tell it to executives, but I never thought about why don't other executives do it? Why don't they do it automatically? They are smart people. Yeah. There's two reasons. History and habits. Let me explain. The dreaded double H's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first is history. Companies have been using the branding, traditional branding model for 3,000 plus years. 3,000 years, starting with the ancient Greeks in Athens and the 
Athens Agora or Marketplace. That's when it first started. Back then, it was the first time that really merchants would engrave their pottery or other artesian, uh, you know, goods yes. with their name and, and start to say, you know, my pottery can handle more hot than your pottery, or my pottery can last longer than your pottery. Well, we do the same exact thing today. I mean, if you look at, you know, pans, pots and pans, it's the same thing. Our pot will last longer or heat up better, whatever, right? The only difference is we use a lot more, you know, promotions and advertising and sales reps, but it's the same concept for 3,000 years. So it's tough to, to change people's and this is where it gets into the second part, habits for 3,000 years. And not only that, these habits have been further ingrained in us by the advertising agencies and marketing firms and branding firms, et cetera, because they're the ones that keep telling everybody uh, the only way to compete is branding. Now, I will tell everybody that is absolutely a myth. It's time for everybody to break out of the brand jail, shake off the brand cuffs, and stop being brainwashed, okay? It's time to play your own game, use the transcender to create and play a game only you can win. I like that. It makes sense, right? So any piece of advice you wanna leave for the audience? Because I'm thinking that there are people, yeah, we've got all levels from consultants to CEOs and so on listening to this. How do they know they're being brainwashed? Yeah, the simple way, I'd say the simple way to think about this is um, is to look and think openly and be willing to just consider the idea that there's an alternative to branding. Mm. Just, just think about that for a second. We basically can go online today and literally pick from 10,000s of different shoes, right? We can go into an ice cream store and pick any number of combinations of flavors and toppings and ice creams. And, and, and yet we only have one way in the entire world over the last 3000 world years to compete and it's branding. It makes no sense whatsoever. So this is why I tell people stop being brainwashed. And just maybe to summarize a simple takeaway is this, if you just want to compete, not when, if you just want yeah. to compete, then brand, because you'll have plenty of competition. But if you want to win, then transcend. Use the transcender system to rise above your competitors, create and play a game only you can win and force competitors to react to you. Yes. And to build on that, all excellent points is that as the listeners are thinking about how they can use this, I think the first question you have to ask yourself is, what is your higher purpose? And do you use that to drive your company more than the brand? Yes. Because that's a very good yes. test to, 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 you could do that in five minutes, right? What is your higher purpose? And is that the message you are taking internally and aligning the organization? And is that the message you're taking externally and building, you know, people into some bigger journey? Yeah. And I think to that point, um, if people want to understand the process, the transition, their system, the proven practical process I've described today. They can read about it in Brands Don't Win, uh, the book. You can also go to the website, brandsdontwin.com, where you can get more information about the book, take a quiz on are you a traditionalist or transcender, and also get more information about how to contact my firm and our associates. 
And I just wanted to point out that no brands were hurt in the writing of the book. <laughs> That's great. That's great, Michael. Stan, this is one of the best podcasts and I'm happy we're starting the year speaking to you because I definitely think the message is going to resonate. It's something that is intuitive, but the way you've assembled it is very practical, very useful and very powerful. Thank you so much. No, and thank you. And I, I thought your questions were outstanding and I really liked how you sort of reframed it uh, specifically so it made it very practical and understandable for your listeners. Hope you have a great day. We're definitely going to be in touch and we'll let you know how things work out. Sounds good. Take care, Michael. Bye-bye. Take care. Ciao. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.